Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, June 16th. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit. As it is written in Romans 10:17. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the spoken Word of God, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Hukat, and it means ordinances. Numbers 20, 16-29 Our ancestors went out to to Egypt, and we lived there a long time, and we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. But the king of Edom said, Stay out of my land, or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edom replied, Stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor. There, on the border of the land of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eleazar up Mount Hor. There you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eleazar his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up Mount Hor together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on top of the mountain, and Moses and Eleazar went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him for thirty days. 1 Kings 15, 25-17, 24 Nadab, son of Jeroboam, began to rule over Israel in the second year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Israel two years. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his father, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. Then Baasha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against Nadab and assassinated him while he and the Israelite army were laying siege to the Philistine town of Gibbethon. Baasha killed Nadab in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah, and he became the next king of Israel. He immediately slaughtered all the descendants of King Jeroboam so that not one of the royal family was left just as the Lord had promised concerning Jeroboam by the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. This was done because Jeroboam had provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by the sins he had committed and the sins he had led Israel to commit. The rest of the events in Nadab's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. There was constant war between King Asa of Judah and King Baasha of Israel. Baasha, son of Ahijah, began to rule over all Israel in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Baasha reigned in Terzah twenty-four years. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. This message from the Lord was delivered to King Basha by the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani. I lifted you out of the dust to make you ruler of my people Israel, but you have followed the evil example of Jeroboam. You have provoked my anger by causing my people Israel to sin. So now I will destroy you and your family, just as I destroyed the descendants of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The members of Basha's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. The rest of the events in Basha's reign and the extent of his power are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Basha died, he was buried in Terzah. Then his son Elah became the next king. The message from the Lord against Basha and his family came through the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani. It was delivered because Basha had done what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as the family of Jeroboam had done. 
and also because Baasha had destroyed the family of Jeroboam. The Lord's anger was provoked by Baasha's sins. Elah, son of Baasha, began to rule over Israel in the 26th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in the city of Terza for two years. Then Zimri, who commanded half the royal chariots, made plans to kill him. One day in Terza, Elah was getting drunk at the home of Arza, the supervisor of the palace. Zimri walked in and struck him down and killed him. This happened in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Then Zimri became the next king. Zimri immediately killed the entire family of Baasha, leaving him not even a single male child. He even destroyed distant relatives and friends. So Zimri destroyed the dynasty of Baasha, as the Lord had promised through the prophet Jehu. This happened because of all the sins Baasha and his son Elah had committed, and because of the sins they led Israel to commit. They provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Elah's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Zimri began to rule over Israel in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, but his reign in Terza lasted only seven days. The army of Israel was then attacking the Philistine town of Gibbethon. When they heard that Zimri had committed treason and had assassinated the king, that very day they chose Omri, commander of the army, as the new king of Israel. So Omri led the entire army of Israel up from Gibbethon to attack Terza, Israel's capital. When Zimri saw that the city had been taken, he went into the citadel of the palace and burned it down over himself and died in the flames. For he too had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of Jeroboam in all the sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The rest of the events in Zimri's reign and his conspiracy are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. But now the people of Israel were split into two factions. Half the people tried to make Tibni, son of Genoth, their king, while the other half supported Omri. But Omri's supporters defeated the supporters of Tibni, so Tibni was killed and Omri became the next king. Omri began to rule over Israel in the 31st year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned 12 years in all, six of them in Terza. Then Omri bought the hill, now known as Samaria, from its owner, Shemer, for 100 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria in honor of Shemer. But Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him. He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, in all the sins he had committed and led Israel to commit. The people provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, with their worthless idols. The rest of the events in Omri's reign, the extent of his power, and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Omri died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Ahab became the next king. 
Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the thirty-eighth year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria twenty-two years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in Yahweh's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. It was during his reign that Hiel, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abiram. And when he completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Segub. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Some time later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Yahweh, 
Why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Yahweh my God, please let this child's life return to him. Then Yahweh heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Acts 10, 24-48 They, Peter and the other believers, arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa, and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Yeshua went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. 
for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Psalm 134, 1-3 O praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. Proverbs 17, 9-11 Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. Evil people are eager for rebellion, but they will be severely punished. I want to speak to you today from 1 Kings chapter 17, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 10. So in 1 Kings 17, we see um, Elijah appear on the scene, and he approaches a widow, the widow of Zarephath, and he says to her, will you please bring me a little water and a cup? and a bite of bread as well. But she comes back to him and she says, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour, a little cooking oil. I was going to make this and feed it to myself and my son, and then we'll die. Kind of a negative view, not a lot of faith in that statement. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've just said, but make some bread for me first. And in verse 14, He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So this is faith in the midst of famine. How does this relate to what's going on right now throughout the nations in the midst of this global pandemic when millions of people are out of work, so many businesses have closed, and so many people are suffering. I happened to look at the news headlines just today, and it relates to what's going on. Headline number one, ranchers sell off cattle and farmers idle hundreds of thousands of acres as America's drought emergency escalates. So what's going on, for example, in North Dakota, the vast majority of the state is either in the worst level of drought or the second worst level of drought, and ranchers are auctioning off their cattle by the thousands. Now, why are they doing that? Because the cost of corn and hay, uh, what they need to feed the cattle, is so high that they cannot afford to buy the corn and the hay. So they're auctioning off their cattle. That is most definitely going to cause the cost of beef to go up. Hundreds of head of cattle have been sold in the last month because of the drought. And another headline, core consumer prices surge at the fastest rate since 1992. That comes from Zero Hedge. With the world's eyes moving on from China's rip-roaring PPI, this morning's CPI print has been heralded as the arbiter of is it transitory or not. 
uh, goods prices are up 6.5%, the highest since 1982, and service prices are also accelerating significantly. Under the hood, many of the same indexes continue to increase, including used cars and trucks, household furnishings and operations, new vehicles, airline fares, and apparel. In another news headline from the Epic Times, as retail prices rise, companies try not to say it too loud. From clothing to cereal to trash bags, prices are going up fast. But many companies aren't saying that, at least not in language that most shoppers would recognize. Often what they will do is make the container for the yogurt or the garbage bag or the box of cereal smaller. So you pay the same price, but it's a smaller amount of good or of product that you're receiving. So here we are in the midst of a drought, in a famine, if you will. And the, uh, the UN is also warning that there's going to be a shortage of food in the coming months. And yet this widow that we read of, the widow of Zarephath, who was going down, getting down to her very last meal, and then she was prepared to die, encounters Elijah, a prophet, a man of God, who says to her, just keep on making the, the flour and the oil each day. Make a cake for yourself and your son and for me, and watch what God will do. And so many of us are under the squeeze. Many people have lost jobs and homes and income has been greatly eroded. And yet, this is a time to have supernatural faith in God and his provision in the midst of famine. So I'm just going to pause for a moment and pray right now. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will supernaturally provide for your people all over the world in whatever situation they find themselves in. You say in your word, look at the lilies of the field. They are more beautifully clothed than Solomon in all of his splendor. Look at the birds of the air. They, na- they do not toil or spin, and yet your Father provides food for them every single day. How much more will he provide for you, O you of little faith? So, Father, in these trying times, I'm asking that you will increase and enlarge our faith to trust you for our daily bread, to trust you for your provision so that we can pay the rent, to pay the mortgage and pay the bills, and to trust you that you are going to supernaturally provide. May we not walk in fear or anxiety or unbelief or doubt, but may we truly walk in faith to trust you for your provision. I ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now I want to jump into Acts chapter 10, and we're continuing the story of Cornelius, the Roman soldier. And now Peter has arrived at his house, and Cornelius has told him how this meeting came about, that a shining angel appeared to him and told him that Peter was staying at the tanner's house and to summon him because he had a message to share with Cornelius, the Roman soldier, and his group of people that are with him. And so Peter then responds to him. And Peter says to him, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. He also goes on to say in verse 28, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or to associate with you. But God has shown me 
that I should no longer think of any person, any person as impure or unclean. Now let's go back to the dream of the sheep with the animals, the uh, unclean animals that came down from heaven three times. It's not talking about food. It's talking about associations with people that the Jews were no longer to consider non-Jews or Gentiles as unclean or impure. This goes against the oral Torah, the Talmud. But what God is showing him is you are to have fellowship with uh, the non-Jews because this message, the gospel message, the message of salvation and of coming into relationship with the God of Israel is for all people. He is no respecter of persons. He does not play favorites. Verse 34, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. So, verse 35, in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. It's for all nations and all peoples, all tongues and all tribes. So then in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, and he gives them the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter concludes, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Yeshua. So this whole chapter is really huge. This is breaking out of the box. This is, let's take this message of the kingdom of God, the message that Yeshua Christ came to die for your sins and that if you believe on him and repent of your sins and ask him into your heart um, that the Holy Spirit can fall upon you and live and dwell within you and that then you can begin to follow the Torah by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This message now has exploded the box that it used to be contained in and it was only for the Jewish people. But now this message is for all people of every nation, tribe, and color, and tongue, and people. So this is a very, very significant event that happens in the book of Acts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Torah. We thank you for Yeshua, who gives us um, a bridge, a way to have right relationship with you, that when we repent of our sins, and we come to Christ, and we come to the cross, that he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he will come and dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. Thank you that this message, this good news, is for all people of all nations and tribes and, and tongues and languages, of all cultures. It's for all people. We thank you for that good news. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Yevrekka Adonai Vish Mrekka Yaya Adonai Vikunneka 
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>